Welcome, everybody. Hey, Sarah, what's up? Hello. How is your COVID going? Um, it is, uh, I think, at the tail end, but who knows? So I got COVID uh, about a week ago, and I've been like pretty much like on my back, <laughs> only able to uh, do like, I don't know, 10 or 20% of what I normally do at, at work. Today is probably my first day that I'm feeling so far so good. Um, but for everybody that's out there that, that thinks that COVID is not out there, it's still out there. Um, I yeah. unfortunately did not get the latest boosters. I think I stopped like, I don't know. I think I got the first two or three. Or three. I don't know. I can't even remember. Are they still even giving boosters? I haven't I, done it in like a, a year or more. I think so, right? I think they're coming out with a new one. Um, I'll wait for that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. And I'm, I was, I was hoping to, I like doing this, this, this podcast too, cause it always gives me energy talking to other entrepreneurs. So that was one of the reasons that I was like, I got, I got to do this. Um, so we don't know who else is, is going to be joining us. Um, we think Julian might, but, uh, it may just be me and Sarah and, um, but I wanted to still do it. I think people still enjoy hearing from, um, people who are kind of in the arena and all that, that type of stuff. Not um, on the sidelines. Not the on area. the sidelines. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how's how's things going with you, Sarah? They're going well. I am finally back in California after I was in Europe and then Philadelphia, where I was recording the last podcast yeah. in the heat and feels good to be back in San Francisco. How many VCs did you run into in, in uh, Europe? Well, I was in London and Paris, and apparently all the VCs are in Italy, so none. I Got did it. not, did not see them. They were, you know, of course, in the arena on <laughs> on their vacation. Right. <laughs> like, I love, like, you know, in the arena. You're a VC. You are the most out of the arena that you can possibly right. be. Right, right. The opposite of in the arena. Yeah. I think I think especially this summer, because just just so many firms that, Typically, a writing series A, B, and C checks are just like not doing anything. So, like yep. this was a summer like they're just taking. Uh, I've I've talked to a lot of friends, yeah, that are VCs that are just like full summer blocked off. Um, and good for them. Uh, that's great. They're the they're not writing checks. That's their job. Enjoy their vacations. Um, but uh, I'm hopeful. Yes. Actually, I think I think a few a few things. One of the topics I wanted to kind of bring up on this podcast there there's some signs of life I think that um we're going to be coming back to a state of uh normality or after the 2021 boom um and then bust and then hopefully a, a state of steady investment I don't know if you can feel that or not Sarah uh, I know you're profitable uh, so you may not actually be interested in that at all but I think it is it is going to happen, but I think it's going to still take time to hit companies that are like raising a series A, B, C, yeah, uh, because it it this trickle down effect. And so, you know, we're just starting to see a couple companies go out in IPO and they're companies that are, that, you know, I think look pretty good. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a flood of IPOs. Hopefully it'll bring a couple more and then yeah. more. Um, but I think it's still like 12 months or more before we're really starting to see a lot of 
action in right. like the growth stage, which is the stage, you know, when he's in that I care about. And so yeah. I'm not counting on any VC funding anytime right. soon. Right. Um, or like also other, you know, potential funding that's private equity or anything like that. Like, yeah. I don't think it's really yet that we're going to be uh, sure deals are getting done, but they're not good deals. So if you can wait, you should count on waiting at least 12 months, but, but possibly more. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not, it, it's great to see it, but I still think it's pretty far out. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons that you went and got profitable, right? Kind of. Yeah. I think it like, you know, we gotta, we gotta be able to hang on for if it's 12 months, if it's 24 months, if it's forever, <laughs> we gotta be able to yeah. control our destiny. And I think, you know, companies, it may be shorter and that would be wonderful. And, right. you know, we should get ready to go out if there's money out there or deals getting done or, you know, exciting opportunities. Yeah. Um, so, like, we don't want to forget about, you know, tracking those metrics and making right. sure we are are ready to go and talk about the business. But uh, I wouldn't count on it. And I, I don't want to waste also a ton of cycles on preparing for a fundraise. Yeah, there's... it's. Uh... That, that preparing and then actively fundraising is can can be seen as such a distraction for uh, the, the CEO, uh, but also it, it can also be the lifeblood of, of the company. So it's it's hard to make those decisions. Um, yep. I also wanted to know, like I, I'm just also just kind of thinking about our our, our audience. I think our audience is uh, for this podcast are like the first time founders. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I never like when when I had my first venture backed startup ship, the th one of the things that I never paid attention to was like more of the macro stuff. So like, and and obviously you do now as well. Um, and I think just just even just make it like explain why we care about like what what's happening in the IPO market. Like what is, what do these things mean? It's because like and this is like a learning that I've probably had over the last like uh, I don't know like three or four years um and i pay attention more like everything kind of tr trickles down so like yeah the when you have like your like your yc company um you go and you are super hot and you get you raise five million in a 25 post or whatever which definitely is probably not a good idea but there's lots of companies that do that um from vcs and angels and um you kind of need to understand like what is to come so like to raise at series a you need to have vcs that can are, are excited by the opportunity for you to go raise your series b your c and then potentially go public so the way that i think of it is that you as a company if you could kind of look back at the macro picture so like for a series a investor to invest in your company your yc company um, they have to really be excited that you're going to be able to raise a series B and then a series C. And then they're looking at eventually the public markets. So like if companies are not getting going public, that kind of everything kind of rolls downhill. And so ultimately that's kind of what I think like more experienced entrepreneurs are looking at as far as like, should we be fundraising? Like, and also uh, investors are as well. Like, is anybody getting any liquidity at the end of the day? Like, what we're trying to deliver for um, our shareholders or investors is like actual, like some sort of liquidity event. And so if companies are not IPOing, 
um, or getting sold or getting bought by private equity or something like that. That just means that the, this is where today, like series A, B, and C rounds are really getting held up. It's because they're, they're not these liquidity events. Right. That's, that's kind of why I look at it. I don't know how, yeah. how much do you pay attention to, to kind of the macro well, picture? I think there's also, I mean, there's that reason, like, you know, are they able to invest? Do they have the funds? Yeah. There's also just some nuances of like, it, look, when you're fundraising, you're talking to people whose entire job is to pay attention to the macro yes. and deploy yes. money uh, alongside these like trends and insights that they're seeing. And so if you're not speaking their language because you're so heads down in your little world of what you're doing, you're going to miss kind of the uh, ability to talk to them the way they like to evaluate. Yes. I remember back when we were raising, it was like a seed round or maybe it was our series a but i think it was our seed um we had already raised a pre-seed from homebrew uh, yeah, and yeah. i think it was sacha might have been hunter i don't know they're interchangeable um <laughs> they, they were helping us you know raise the next round or maybe it was fill out the round and they looked at our deck and we had all these slides kind of going into the nuances of our product and yeah uh they were like put some stuff about data in there. Like you guys are dealing yeah. with a lot of data. Like talk a little bit more about the data. <laughs> Use that word. And right. we right. kind of redid the deck to focus less on like the design of the product and just talk a lot about data. And it was amazing. Like that really appealed to investors at the time. Right. That was one of the trends that investors were really into. Like how much data are you sitting on? Right. Um, and, you know, we just weren't tuned in to what, was really hot at the moment. And yeah. uh, I do think it is important, especially if you're going out and trying to fundraise, uh, that you know what they are caring about at that particular moment in time. So you can kind of tweak the language and the way you talk about things to match right. that. Yeah, no, that's that's so that's so important. It's really trying to like well I think in anything, right? If you're doing if you're trying to do like a a partnership with another company or you're trying to uh, you're basically selling your company, selling your company to another investor, like trying to get into their head. Like what, what exactly are they looking for? What's important to them? And, it, and of course, it changes for every single person you talk to, including the stage of investment. Right. So if you right. if you're looking to go raise a series A, it's diff different than raising a series B, um, which a series B is basically like just basically send us your 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 uh an excel uh sheet of what your what your historicals have been and your projections are and like here is it, this is basically what we'll invest or not um and it gets even like it's later stage even even more data driven and it's it's a lot less about the product and vision all these things they want to see the real numbers right. and all of those different things but early on it's like even seed i would say that it's really about, I know Julian talks a lot about this um, to a lot of his coaching clients. It's about like selling the dream. Like that's the one right. time that like you don't actually have data. I also, when I talk to other people trying to start businesses as well, it's like don't actually have customers. Like the, the best and the easiest time to fundraise, in my opinion, is like when you have zero data and you could just like kind of like wave yeah. your hands um, if you do have some credibility, you've built something before and all that, of course. Um, and then as the later state, the stages go, go on, it gets more data centric, markets centric, competitor focus, like all those different things. I don't know. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, but I, I mean, I think you always have to sell the vision of where of these are going. Course. Like even yeah, yeah, yeah. reading through, which I really want, if I ever get free time, I want to create the S1 for Winnie. Uh, like what it would That'd be you cool. know, say, uh, obviously the financials will be different yeah. if we ever IPO. Uh, but, um, you know, it is, you're selling the dream. And like, if you, I read through uh, a lot of the, you know, Instacart S1, it was like, yes. I actually got so excited about Instacart that I put in an Instacart order. I usually do the like Amazon whole food delivery, but I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm like feeling Instacart right now. Like I'm going to try it back out again. And it gets you jazzed about the business and the right. kind of opportunities. So you always you know, need always be selling, but, uh, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't even stop when you're going public. I mean, maybe more so when you're a public company, because you gotta, gotta sell the dream to everyone. Yeah. You all, yeah. You definitely always need to be, whether that's investors, employees also, that's, yeah. a, that's a really important thing. Like, how do you keep people motivated? A lot of it is like, especially when you are going through like either tough times or like e even with I find that um, people from the outside that haven't like found product market fit seem to think that like product market fit is this magical place that like everything is wonderful and it's just such a great it is like and and, and you obviously have hit it um, as as well like it is excruciating it, it, it is so painful if you hit it um, and you are really <laughs> scaling. Like employees are putting in like 12 hour days and we're just, everybody's trying to hang on for dear life and everything is, is that. And so, so when I, when I, when you kind of mentioned selling like everything, it's like, you kind of like as you as, as the CEO, um, or founder, like need to kind of like, it, like pep talk everybody. It's like, no, like this is really painful. I understand. And also some people just aren't cut out for startups, but like. You should be selling. It's like, this is a good thing that we're doing right now. I know it's painful, but like we're in the midst of, 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 of like of our customers stretching us, our partners stretching us, everything like that. I've always f found like, for, especially before we hit product market fit, that it was all, I, I always looked at other companies that had it to be like, oh, like Instacart would be a great example. Like, oh, the easy times that like they must be having, but it's, it's, it's kind of like the opposite and it gets harder. Yeah. I don't know what your experience with, with that is. No, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I keep thinking, okay, we just hit this next milestone. Like I could finally yes. relax. Like I can't relax. I just went on a vacation to Europe and I was working every day because that's what it takes to run a company. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you mentioned these uh, 12 hour days and I might be one of the few <laughs> putting in those 12 hour days. So I do need your advice on how you're getting everyone to do that. We, play, <laughs> we don't have uh, that same culture at Winnie uh, for, you know, better or worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every culture is, is different. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's part of, I, I think what makes our employees stick around so long is that yes. they're not, you know, burning out, but um you know, I think there's also a, a part of, like you said, I think you're really good at this. I'm not as good, um, like selling people on the exciting opportunity ahead and getting them excited and motivated to 
you know, not always put in 12 hour days, but sometimes you do need to sprint yeah. to um, a, a milestone or, or delivering for some customer deadline or some press event or whatever it might be. Um, and getting people like excited and motivated to do that, not feeling like it causing burnout, but actually energizing them. Right. Um, I, you know, I see you even just for this podcast saying, you know, if we hit this many listeners, we're going to be able to get sponsors. And, yeah. and that would mean you don't have to edit it. <laughs> so I don't just, to be clear. I don't edit it. I spend oh, one hour in the script and then just post it. All right. <laughs> it's still work. Um, it, motivating people and reminding them like why we're doing this. I think sometimes I forget to do that with my employees. Like, yeah. hey, remember, if we can get this product out the door, it makes this these 10 things happen um, so that everyone always feels motivated to to hit that next milestone. Yeah, that actually maybe that's a, a, a good next topic, um, like burnout. And um, that's a that that's a, a topic that a lot of. Yeah. I, and, and can go back to your your comments. Um, I, I definitely for for whatever reason and. And I, and maybe it's just because this is just how I work. Yeah, I'd say the majority of our company uh, at our house, we we definitely err to working the ten to twelve hour days. Um, most of every department, but it also every department's different. Um, and I don't know if that's because that's just kind of how I work, and then the company just kind of follows that. Or and what, are you mostly is. in person? No. Um, so a third of us right now are in the Bay. We try to get to get together, um, at least once a week in person. Mm -hmm. Um, but everybody else, um, we hired, uh, when we closed our series A, it was, it was still, it was like pretty close to the pandemic. So we hired, yeah, kind of everywhere. Um, but, uh, I, 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 I hear a lot of, uh, the, I'm working 12 hour days. Like, wow. when is this gonna like let up? uh all, all of this um and I, I try to explain to people and also so myself i've actually only experienced burnout once and it, it was actually at air house and i had to like take a it was it was like a, probably like a couple weeks off basically um and, and it's kind of funny because my last company ship definitely had a lot more notoriety and it seemed like a lot more hectic and all that but um, we never actually reached product market fit. Um, and so it, I, I, I completely disagree with that. I think ship was an amazing product and had, we didn't have market fit. We, we like it, it, the, maybe the, the business model yes, was sure. the thing that needed work. I don't know that you wouldn't have gotten there. Uh, but I, I think it, it had like the truest definition of product market fit, which is like people loved it like it was life-changing for people it was life-changing for me yeah you didn't you. have the business model figured out correctly because i think what you've you know said in your kind of analysis of yeah. post-mortem is like you raised too much money and so you you didn't have to do that work put in the work to, I, I think you would have been able to figure it out like you had people that that loved it and yeah. probably were willing to pay a lot more to make the economics work. Uh, yeah, I, I, I disagree. 
um, just because I, I, I just think it, it, it we, we, there definitely is a business there. It just wouldn't be big enough. Um, it wouldn't to, be like, big enough to support a venture you know, scale, the, but then the amount but, that you raise yeah. possibly and the valuations you were raising at, but I don't think that's the definition of product market fit. Like there was a, a market for your product. Sure. You can look in, in DoorDash today, they have ship built into DoorDash. It's a yeah. feature. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, it's like, clearly there's demand for that. Um, yeah. And I think your product met that demand, but like the, the behind the scenes of like the valuation for the amount of money and the business yeah. model wasn't all adding up. But I, I disagree about the product market fit. I think it, it is like exactly the example of product market fit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely have more of a nuanced <laughs> view of product market fit. I, I think that you, you need to definitely be, you have to have a solid business model and we just didn't. Like the, the only way that, that that business actually worked was at scale. And this is also why I, um, uh, do, like, so DoorDash is doing like a, a portion of what we did at Ship was they do returns for USPS and all the different shipping carriers for like three or $5. And they must just be a hemorrhaging money. And like for logistics businesses, it's all about consolidation. So like you need to have a lot of different people doing pickups and close pro proximity or deliveries for the actual economics to work out. It, it would be, it's just, and so when I view, I now view product market fit as like, not only do you have a product that people love, right. um, and also there's a market there, but also you need to have a financial model that actually yeah. backs it up. And that was the thing that, that, and the reason why I didn't restart ship and I will never, ever do it is because yes, I do. I do agree that people loved it. And also as a user myself, I loved it. It was amazing, but you just, you can't get that type of service, um, without having enough demand. And there's just, right. and, and maybe it's a timing thing, like maybe in the world, like in another 10 years when everybody's selling everything online and like people in like Facebook marketplace, and I'm not sure if you're a user or uh, if you sell things, if you're Facebook marketplace, my wife does all the time. She I loves it. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, like that's like the, the new version of like the garage sale, um, uh, uh, piece. So like maybe in like 10 years when like everybody's yeah. like selling a bunch of shit and like you go to consumers and then it makes sense. But like we, we, we were not able People just didn't ship enough. And so, like, we didn't have yeah. enough people. That was the underlying problem for that entire business. And also another big right. reason that we did fail. Um, could there be a smaller business built on that? Yeah. Am I excited to build a small business? No. So that's why I'm not I'm building gonna, a, a, I'm, a I'm smaller business. I'm going to restart business. ship. I'm Please do. It. <laughs> so it was, it was a funny story. It was actually, so we, we um, it was bought by somebody that tried to restart it mm. and, and they did not have any luck. I don't know what the hell happened. Um, and I tried, I tried to actually buy like the domain and everything from the, the, uh, the person that bought it, they never, never responded to me. I'm not sure what's happening with that. Um, I would just love to have the domain I and have some a of the great, assets. Amazing domain broker that got us winnie.com for basically nothing. That's so great. If you, I'll, I'll send them over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we're what we're talking about? So um, we were talking we were talking, we're about, talking about uh yeah well we're we're we were talking about getting uh, employees burnout. to work yeah ten to twelve Bur hour days without burning out yeah but also I, I think I think so what I have done differently 
this this time with Airhouse versus um at ship at ship it was really and this is also in the days of like we were in san francisco right uh, we were all in person we had to compete with like uber for talent uh airbnb and so like there was a huge talent war going on so it was right. really a around like i'd say that we definitely were like making sure employees were happy and so it'd be like yeah don't worry about like not finishing this stuff on time or right. that and that like because like i was really worried about people leaving and all that stuff so i don't think that we were aggressive enough on like we got to get this thing out because customers are really demanding it and at era house i've been like very upfront um about with people i'm like startups the reason you join startups are, it's not to get rich like that is if, if that happens if the stock options are worth something that is a huge bonus but what i could guarantee you is that you are going to learn more in like a few years like in two to three years than you would learn in a decade if you work for a larger company and also like i've done this before and i've had we, we've had a, a number of people that came with me before that have experience with startups like will also help you like like guide you through through the journey so like we won't have like this um we'll be totally transparent on the journey and what's happening and so like if you want to go like build your own startup or join an earlier seashore startup or whatever else like you will learn more in like two or three years with us than you you could if if you want to go and do something yourself but right. what with that comes is a lot of hard work and it's going to be like and also i looked for people that were very entrepreneurial they would like people that would just like they see a problem they just they can't stop until it's right. actually solved like that's what i think of myself i'm like if i see a problem it i have to solve it like that night like i, I just can't not do right. that and so i look for so it's a combination of telling people up front what they're signing up for and also looking for people that kind of um, have that like entrepreneurial uh, spirit built into them. And I think that's kind of like cemented our foundation of just like of Airhouse. And also like even like I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I think we have all hands every week and I, I, I try to be like as transparent as possible. So like when it feels like the wheels are, when and, and when you do hit product market fit, fit like, it is very uncomfortable and it does feel like the wheels are falling off. Right. Um, and it, it's going to be, I'm going to come and say, I'm not going to say like, don't worry. We're going to, once we hit the, like everybody's all, and I, I will always used to do this as well. It's like, when we hit this milestone, everything will be better and all this. <laughs> I, I need to be the person to be like, it's not going to get, you need <laughs> to get comfortable with this. Right. Like, like, Yes, we're going to get more resources and like these things are going to change, but like this is actually good. Like we're in a really good spot as far as the company and also like your professional careers. Like another benefit of joining a startup is that you can raise like like in the ranks. I think as far as hiring executives, like look to hire 50% um uh internally and 50 percent externally so like you can go and i also saw this a, a ship before like now i had people join as like designers that are now vp design at right. wherever or they're ma they're making millions of dollars a year a lot more than i'm making 
um, that we're just part of that journey. So like that, that's what you can get, but right. um, more or less like giving them the hard truth. It's like, this is like, and also admitting like, I don't have the solution. I look for you, for everybody here to have the solutions to these problems and be like, this is really tough. I, I know this cause I'm also going through it, but here's like, just kind of being real with people and not before at ship, I kind of like try to sugarcoat everything. It's like, oh, everything's great. And like, oh, the numbers are down, but like, don't worry because right. when this thing happens and we were trying to get like a partnership with eBay, it's like, when we do this and it's like, then the company's going to explode. And like, now I'm like, I don't know. Uh, right. I'm like, I'm like, here's a lot of stuff that we're doing. Here's and also here's a lot of the learnings that we've had. And it's up to everybody here to figure out and here and for, for, like a, a CEO, um, like obviously you would have to have the vision. Here's a vision I think that we should be going on in, but like as things change, it may, it may shift, but like we need everybody here to figure out how to like plug in all the different holes. And so I'm much more real with everybody. And I think that like the feedback that I've gotten has been pretty positive. Um, and, and I don't know if that accounts for people putting in the 10 to 12 hour days or whatever that is, but I don't know that's, that's, the way that I kind of do things now. I don't know. I'd be curious yeah. how, 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 how you, uh, uh, when you uh, run things. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, so I'm like the, uh, I'm very much a realist, maybe pessimist. I'm always looking hey, for like, good. what are all the things that could go wrong? And I'm stressing about them and I have all this anxiety, but I think that, that also drives me because I like, oh no, all these things could go wrong. I have to make sure we fix them all. And my co-founder, Anne, yeah, is like yeah. the eternal optimist. Like she's like, no, nothing will go wrong. Everything is going to be amazing. And this is everything we're doing is going to work out and be huge and massive. And I think that's been a really good balance um, because she sees all the opportunity and I see all the things that could prevent us from, and I'm constantly harping on, well, we won't get to that if we... Right if all these things go wrong, so it's a good uh, kind of, I think either one of us alone would not be able to run the company. It's great right. that, that I have a co-founder. Are you a solo founder? Uh, no, I have a co-founder as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like a big proponent of co-founders, obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, we've always focused on, you know, outcomes rather than time spent working. Um, and I think now, so we used to be all in person. Now we're fully remote. We don't have an office. Um, so we are really forced to be very outcomes focused and, you know, with engineering, you know, we have a a point system where they're pointing all the work. So it's a little bit easier to keep track of, you know, how much people are getting done. Um, and not, I mean, if someone can get done more than everyone else in terms of points and they're doing it in fewer hours, like, wonderful. <laughs> Who am I to, to say that they need to spend longer on it? Right. Um, but uh, I think, you know, it, it's harder in, in some of these roles where, you know, it, you don't have a metrics-based system for seeing what that that output is um and with remote work like you just have to be very trusting that people are 
you know, putting in the time and, and doing, doing the best they can. I think that's, you know, been a challenge for us because you, you really just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, I'm curious, um, cause also there's been, um, there's, there's actually, there's this Jason. So Jason Lemke, if anybody's yeah. listening, if you don't follow him, he, he actually tweets some of the best stuff out there. He, um, there was actually a couple tweets on that I wanted to bring up, um, today, but one of them was the percent of, uh, a company, uh, the percent ownership um, by founders by a bunch of SaaS companies. I saw that. Yeah, so it was that was interesting, and I, th I think that um, the latest company um, that is going public was going to be um, so it was Clavio. Uh, anyone doesn't know who they are. They ba they basically do, do email and SMS notifications for Shopify brands mostly, um, but mostly around e-commerce. But I, I thought kind of bringing it back to what you kind of mentioned. So there was a number of people on that, the list that he published. Um, so we don't have to get into percent, percentages on, on that, but like, I think that the thing that I took away from, well, not even that, but also just observing, observing different uh, relationships is that it could work really well either way. So they, there could be a solo founder and like really strong. So I think of like, Travis from Uber would be a great example, like super strong. Like he doesn't have, uh, even though he did, he does have co-founders, but like he is a CEO, like, you know, he's a CEO, but it sounds like, like for, for you and, and your, your co-founder, like you guys kind of, you run the business together. Um, curious on like, how does that work? Or are you typically the, the person who handles one side of the business, but, but also just to illustrate to people that like, there's not one one size fits all rule. Um, like that doesn't need need to be like uh, a single founder, a co-founder. I think Atlassian. Um, well, Airbnb is another great like anomaly. They have like three co-founders that all own the same percentage of the company and all that. And and but Brian typically runs most of the company. Um, I'm curious, like how how do you run that with your your co-founder? Because it sounds like you have a really close relationship still. And, and yeah. And she's a big part of the running the business today. Yeah. I mean, we have pretty clear roles and responsibilities and also like pretty clear strengths and weaknesses that really complement each other. So she's yeah. our head of product. Yes. Uh, so she's doing, you know, all of the internal figuring out what we're working on and how that's going and everything we're building. And I really don't get a lot of say in that. Um, I can point out things that I think are wrong and I can say what I think is high priority, but at the end of the day, she's making those calls along with our VP of engineering. Um, and I'm doing a lot of the other stuff. Uh, so I'm our head of sale um, yep. and doing a lot of, you know, customer and, and kind of outward facing things. And then, you know, everything else that goes along with running a business yeah. um, really falls to me, including like, a lot of really annoying things that don't have owners end up being things that I have to do or train someone or hire someone to then right. eventually take it from me. Um, but I think basically the default is like, if it doesn't have an owner, it's on me until we find yeah. an owner. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, worked well with my like incredibly type A personality of, you know, nothing can 
get dropped on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and Anne is definitely way more of the creative personality um, and sees these incredible opportunities. I mean, she she basically figured out the thing that had product market fit in our entire business model. Uh, wow. But I think it's hard to do both. It's hard to have all of that, you know, creative brain power that can sit and just figure out the solution to the problem. Yeah. Um, and then also make sure that everyone is happy 100%. I mean, right. everything's getting responded to and, you know, nothing is getting dropped and all the metrics look good. Like, it's it's really kind of impossible to do both. And so we sort of have to divide things that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and, and also, like, totally different than so many other businesses are run. I think that the common, like, misconception that a lot of people starting off uh, get is like it has to be done this way right. um even like because also if you, if you like and i know sarah you're, you're 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 big on twitter um like there there's uh maybe this is actually even another topic it's just like that everybody wants to like just just in, in totally general terms it's like this is the way you do something it's like you right. want to make a like your first million dollars like this is what you need to do or like this is like the, the recipe for uh, like building a business and it has to be, you have to go get a co-founder and all, all, all of this stuff. Um, and uh, um, oh, somebody, <laughs> sorry, I'll cut this out. Somebody is just at my window. I agree. There's no one way. And I think people, you know, some people don't have co-founders, but they have, you know, like we have this VP of engineering who's been with us since the beginning, and she's also very much like a third co-founder to us. Um, but I do think it's really hard to be the only person responsible yes, 100% of the time. And so I think it's, sure, people have done it, but it's incredibly helpful to have someone, you know, like you were saying, people get burned out and people yes. have other things going on in their yes. lives. And sometimes you just need a week where you kind of step back and, and let someone else take the reins. And if you don't have someone who will uh, hold the company as precious as you, it's a yeah. little bit challenging. I mean, I've definitely, over the seven and a half years of running Winnie, have had a few different instances where I've had to step back. Of course. Um, and while I could still be involved and do work, like I couldn't be at my 150% that I normally right. am at. Um, and if I didn't have a co-founder, I think it would have been really challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and also just going back to that initial thought on like how everybody makes it's like a recipe there, there's also like the complete off opposite and I'll, I'll use travis um even though he has lots of flaws um uh as the the counter example like i don't think that he ever took a day off that he was not at like 150 percent and um and he he was the person that you would go to for for everything so right and that's that's for me knowing him a little bit and also knowing some people with an uber um and like he just couldn't he did not have an off button and so like my point is just 
instead of it it needing to be like you have to have two co-founders one needs to be like the um the visionary and the more managerial person and the other one needs to be the technical one and all of this like there could be so many different combinations of of like the founding team or how you run a company like look at airbnb right like they had brian uh chesky who like came out of design school so i don't think he had any technical background um and then they, he had two other co-founders and they actually were together until they ipo'd um and they all had their their and they had the same ownership percentage and all of that and and they had their their own places within the company and like at, at other companies it's, it's just the single person that's running everything and yeah. and like like jeff bezos would be another great example like He's like the, 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 um, did he actually have co-founders? I think he, I think he might've, but like he, he was the one that you went to, but uh, I think also the Atlassian founders, like they're pretty much like, like a lot of the, uh, what you hear is like a lot of joint decision makings and everything like that. And so I think like that what people read, um, and what people, um, hear on, on, podcast like this is is that it needs to be done this way but it's like in the reality it's like everybody figures it out like their own way and there can be many different ways to success yeah i also think you know a lot of times there's someone who's more outward facing that may get you know more of the credit like probably more people have seen my name associated with winnie right. than Anne's name and that's like by design. That's because right. that is my job at the company to yes. be in charge of a lot of that. It's also, it fits a lot better with my strengths and what gives me energy and what I enjoy. Um, but it's not, it's not the case that she is doing less. Um, right. In fact, uh, she probably deserves way more of the credit. Um, but, you know, that's just how we've divided things up. So a lot of companies, they, they have that one person and you, you might think, oh, they're, they're running the ship. They're doing it all on their own. Yeah, when yeah. really, there there might actually be a lot of help and support behind the scenes um, that that they're just not, you know, press facing. Well, I think that's that's always the case. Like the like the the front work the front um, person for every business. Like yeah, right. you can't do everything on your own. Like of course there's there's a huge team. If you are successful, right. that is backing that up. And that's actually one thing that I've I think that a lot of people fall into the trap and I've worked with some people that like they, the company starts doing well and they're not getting the, the actual public recognition, wh whether right. that is within the company or externally. Um, I've had people that I've worked with uh, that just kind of like, if they're not getting the accolades, then they just like, they may act out or they may do different things and they just can't actually handle it. But ultimately like, it you need to really like lock arms with everybody and like it ultimately doesn't really like like yes is the ceo going to get all the public praises yes but also if when things go wrong they're also going to be blamed for everything as well so right but but ultimately you need to be okay not getting acknowledged and that also goes to like when you're running a company i'd say that both of us probably fall into that category now with Airhouse and Winnie. Like, we're in industries that we're not making the news. We don't. Right. We're not AI companies. We're not. We're not the top of the list for investors. Um, and like, 
it's okay that we're not getting acknowledged and like we're still running and and doing the 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 right things for our business um but a lot of people can't handle that and i think that's where a lot of people actually do fail with that recognition part they they think that that is like the outcome but it's not it's it's about building something probably hopefully that it didn't exist before in a different way uh, and solving people's needs um and not worrying like who who gives a shit if you like the, the the best managers are the ones that like when when something goes right they they're the first ones to that call out other team members right. and say i didn't do any of this this is all because of this my amazing team um but but still that manager may get the the accolades or whatever that is like those are the types of people that you really want to, those are the types of people that I really want to work with. And, but the opposite, I've seen so many people that just like spin out of fucking control when they're not the ones getting the accolades. And it's like, I don't want to work with you now. And so like, you're not going to be part of this process. So like, I'm going to fire you. Like, yeah. we, don't, we don't have that problem at Winnie. Everyone is like so humble and so uh does like a you know doesn't want to be out there i'm actually like begging people to get out there like can we have other people that want to be kind of externally facing but um no i think that's also you know we just have a culture of like really uh really humble people right um and uh but i do remember you know back when i worked at some other companies yes uh, you know you there would be fights over who oh. would get their name on the blog oh post announcing God. the feature. Um, and, oh. you know, it was just like, I understand people wanted that recognition for their career and for their resume, but it would just get, that was all they cared about. And uh, you kind of lose the the purpose of what you're there to do. Um, so I'm really glad I haven't had to deal with that at all for the past you know, seven and a half years. And it's, we've had the opposite problem of like, come on, someone right. else want to be on this blog post. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, but, but also those, those are the people that you actually don't want to work with as well. Like, you, like to me that that's a, that's a great example. Like even big companies, um, which I, before I, I work at big companies as well, like those people that want to get their recognition and all of those, like, you just don't want to work with them. And so like, like life is long, your careers are long. Like yeah. I think those types of moves are very short-sighted and like, just do the best work you possibly can do. Prop up the people, the rest of the people in your team, the best you, you can. And like, that's how you build like a really long, like even as like a founder, like I think that for, for me, me at least like, I'm going to found multiple companies in my career. I look at this like from a very long-term perspective. I, I look right. at like what I do in every single company. So like ship, for example, we failed. I, I wanted to make sure that like I did absolutely everything I possibly could do right. Like when things were going bad um, and not do anybody any harm, including like our partners or anything like that. Like, there's a lot of people that like when things go wrong, they're just like they kind of exit out or something. I, I, I knew like this is going to be part of like me building my career in like building companies. And so like I think of it as a very long journey. And people, if you're not a founder or whatever, you should look at that the same way. And like that includes like think of the people you want to work with. It's people right. that like are extremely like 
uh, genuine, like they're, they're, they don't need to have their names on the blog post or, or internally. And they're the ones that get all the recognition, all that. Right. They're the people that are like kind of leading everything, but make sure things get done, uh, but they don't need the recognition. Um, I'm just looking at time here. Um, but lot, 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 let's move on. The last thing that I wanted to kind of bring, bring up. So I'm, I'm also going to, um, this is another Jason Lem, Lem, uh, Lemkin tweet that he had. And um, also wanted to get your take on this as well. We got to uh, get him on the pod. Oh, he, he, I think he, I think, uh, I'd love to, obviously. Um, we'll eventually we'll work could, on it. Yeah. So, so um, right now, um, for everybody listening, uh, we get like between like one to 2K listeners uh, per episode. When we get to about 10K listeners, apparently that's when we could start getting some sponsorships. And then actually somebody to run this thing. And then hopefully it'll get larger from, from the, there. Um, and then we'll get some of these guests on here. But one yes. of the, the things that that he ha had on here. Um, so one of the big misconceptions about SaaS companies is that they never have really been truly profitable. So he posted... There's a tweet um, that he has about all of uh, or a bunch of different public SaaS companies. Toast, Monday.com, Snowflake, MongoDB, HubSpot. Basically goes through like like as the market has changed from like growth at all costs to actually focusing on profitability. He lays out 2022, 2023, um, the, the differences between like them changing with based on what the market has said. So like some of it is like based on like free cash flow. Um, some of it's like adjusted EBITDA or whatever, but it really shows that like when constraints are placed on companies, which obviously the, the market has placed on public companies as far as like their stock price and going up, it's like gotta get more profitable. So like that's where all the layoffs came, unfortunately. Um, but it's really showing that like these massive like SaaS companies where there always was the misconception is like, they'll never be able to get profitable, all that. That's completely untrue. The other thing that, that, that I wanted to bring up with, and I know he's talked a lot about this, is like SaaS, and I'd say that software more in general is just way fucking bigger than we ever had anticipated. And also like specific areas that you wouldn't think of, like for us, it's like we're a marketplace for 3PLs. It's like very specific. And you 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 may not think that's a, a really big like opportunity potentially. And also want to turn it on over to you, Sarah, as far as like um what you guys are doing at winning. Like I'm sure that you're you you've gotten so many different investors like saying that your market size is not big enough. And I'm like like obviously like childcare is, but like it, like your marketplace for childcare providers, like, is that a really big market? Like, what, what do you take from like that? And also maybe the constraints that have, have like that kind of breed companies to do different things and just or the overall opportunities in like these software businesses. Yeah. I mean, so like SaaS businesses should be very, very profitable businesses because you're, making software and then you're selling it and then your cost yeah. should be basically nothing. It's like AWS servers to right. run the software that you're selling. But the reason they're so, they've historically been so unprofitable is they, you know, their whole model revolves around sales. 
Yeah, sales and marketing. And, uh, you know, to actually get that company to buy your SaaS software, you have to pay a lot of money and and you're not upfront and you're not necessarily recouping that in uh the the sale and they've kind of ballooned out of control as as funding has ballooned out of control right. um but in theory uh they they could be very profitable if, if people could you know find uh that um SaaS product more organically or for lower cost um and you didn't need you know such high cost to acquire customers uh so, you know, we've really taken that to heart at yeah. Winnie. Uh, we have, you know, basically pay nothing to acquire our customers, which are daycares and preschools. Yeah. Um, and I, I really think that's the only way in a more constrained market to make the business work. Um, and I think, you know, the reason that uh, we haven't seen a lot of huge IPOs in the childcare space is, yeah. you know, you, you can't do, you can't deploy the like traditional SaaS model when you have a very kind of limited TAM of businesses to sell to. Um, so I do think, you know, the TAM for childcare is constrained. That is like, feedback we've always heard from investors it's still massive i mean well, 16... what, what, what is it what is it like percentage of spend for households what is it oh i mean i mean households with kids with... under five it's probably at least like a quarter of yeah it's huge income. it's huge but, uh for i think you know for our our customers are daycares and preschools yes. so you know that's a 60 billion dollar market in the u.s and then right. it gets to hundreds of billions if you look outside of just daycare and preschool and you look at things like private school or nannies or babysitters or right. kind of add these adjacent areas um, and then of course if you go outside the u.s it gets even bigger so it is still massive we're it's talking massive. hundreds of billions of dollars uh but it's constrained in that not everyone can be our customer and so i do think you know the the traditional SaaS model of like just go have so many salespeople and plaster everything with ads um doesn't make a lot of sense in these kind of niches where right. not everyone is going to be your customer you can't just buy a billboard because it it doesn't apply to most people right um now we're unique in that we're also a marketplace and so we have parent users that we have to acquire right. as well but I, I do think there's you know something to be said about this hopefully new era we're entering where um people will be a little bit more constrained about how they acquire customers well and i think that's 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 if, if you look historically like these are the the, the best times for these companies to be really founded because right now it's like everybody's building the foundation which they're they're then gonna like use hopefully additional if they're a venture back company to accelerate their business so if you if you do have some way that you're able to acquire customers for less or your what whatever you're gonna apply that same capital to that better foundation Versus if you had unlimited capital, and this is the mistake that I had at Chevy right. was like, 
We just, we did actually, we literally had billboards all over New York. I think it was like the campaign cost like 400 grand or something like that. And we had like, I think it was like, I don't know, it was something like 20% extra month over month growth from that, that something that stupid. But that's how much money we had at ship as far as like we right. could deploy all this stuff. So I actually love this era as far as like going back to Jason's tweet is like, yeah, the markets are constraining these companies and like look at how much like when they have to. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the stuff is like like layoffs and all these things. But like there's a really good business out there if they are properly constrained. And I think that right. if you the earlier you could do that, build that into your like the basics of your like fundamental business model, like the better that you're able to actually use capital more efficiently versus just being like in the wild west. And that's why um, I myself have always tried like the, the second go around, tried to raise the least amount of money versus like versus the stage we're at. And even though that's very uncomfortable and maybe that's the reason that a lot of my, my team is working 10 to 12 hours a day, a, a night, but it forces you to then what is the most important stuff you got to work right. on? Right. Like you can't do everything. It's you can't do the, the billboards. You can't do like work on every single product feature and all those types of things. So I think that's like one of the big learnings that I've had. And now you see it going to like the public markets. And, and, and also I would say for like a business like yours, um, like there's going to be like an IPO in, technology in the childcare space hopefully it is you and you're wildly successful and uh but like of course there's going to be like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense that there's not going to be um uh God, so i hope so yeah <laughs> well, yeah we all do um we'll take anything yeah yeah of course um but i think that that's what people get wrong and also they a, a lot of entrepreneurs they follow the hype train ai cycle that's the hype hype cycle right now but it's the businesses like mine and yours right now that are going to be the ones that hopefully um are going to be the actual more successful ones um because we've been building and building and building and like we have customers that continue coming like and and paying us money and yeah. profitable and all these different <laughs> things um and and also there's a lot less competition in those markets and everything like that but like it just kind of shows you like is this tweet like so, like on all all of the different companies they all touch different sectors of the um economy um all sectors are going to be impacted by technology and um so i i would just like for anybody listening um like have a unique take on some like different market and like just like go heads down and build for 10 years and you're going to have something hopefully really um, exciting for a lot of your customers. Um, do you want to end there, sir? Any last thoughts? I have to get back into the arena. All right, let's do it. <laughs> th thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.